0: Welcome to the Merge podcast. The Merge is the student ministry of the First Baptist Church in Barnwell, South Carolina. The mission of the Merge is to equip students to love God and His people. Here is student pastor Ryan Holtzman. We've been looking at this topic of vintage Jesus. We're talking about or answering questions, uh, common questions that people have about this guy named Jesus. And so last week, or two weeks ago, we talked about the reason that Jesus went to the cross. Last week, we talked about whether or not he really rose up from the grave. And so tonight, we're going to tackle the question of, why worship Jesus? There's a lot of other gods out there. There's the Hindu god, there's the Buddhist, there's the... um, the god of sex, and there's the uh, the god of money, which, by the way, let me tell you something about that really quick. I believe that um, the god of money, the god of sex, uh, the god of drugs, the god, of god all that stuff. I believe that those are actual demons. I've been reading a book about doctrine and what Christians should believe. And the more that I looked into that statement that these gods are actual high powerful former angels that followed Lucifer and were cast out of heaven, the more I believe that. So I think that if you worship the sex god, you are actually worshiping a demon. I think that if you, I believe now, if you worship the money god, that you are worshiping a demon. And that'll change the way you think about things if you start thinking about it in that way and who you worship. So tonight we ask this question, why worship Jesus? You know, some of the most exciting times in my life, and, and Emily is gonna agree with this totally, and, and I think a lot of you will uh, for your team that you like. But anyway, some of the most exciting times in my life are when I get to go to Clemson football games. I've been to—I can't tell you how many games in my day. Uh, Living just a few miles away from campus, Um, there was at one point in my life when Emily was in college that we didn't miss a home football game, and we even went to uh, some of the uh, away games. Four years ago, in 2006, Clemson played. They were ranked. We were ranked 12th in the nation. We were seven and one, and we played Georgia Tech on a Saturday night, eight o'clock, national TV, and it would mark the first time that ESPN's game day, college football game day, came to Clemson, and and it was an incredible scene. It was homecoming, so the floats were out on Bowman Field. I mean, it was just crazy. Well, let me kind of show you what that was like. The present, and this is the best game day crowd I think I've ever seen. This is unbelievable. What a scene! But after dark, the Jackets and the Tigers in prime time on ESPN. So I can promise you, play at home is difficult to beat Clemson in Death Valley. They're, they call it Death Valley for a reason. They call it Death Valley for a reason. You know, I was there, all right? I was at that game. I got goosebumps right now. That's how excited I get about Tiger football. I love Clemson football. I love going to the games. I love, I put on, sometimes I wear my orange overalls and I go down there and I tailgate and, and I, you can laugh at me all you want, but I'd rather be a, called a tiger than some stupid chicken. But anyway, I, I go down there and I would rather tailgate out in the wide open than pretend like a train that has nothing to do with my college called a cockadoo or whatever that stupid thing is. That they pay thousands of dollars to get in? I mean, it's just ridiculous. Anyway, so having said all that, I love Clemson football. I'm as passionate about Clemson football as anybody else. Just as a lot of you or some of you are passionate about South Carolina, we are all passionate about our football teams. We like it. We love it. We get into it. And I was at that game. And that game marked the beginning of James Davis and C.J. Spiller. And because James Davis rushed for 216 yards and C.J. Spiller rushed for 120 yards and he had a 50-yard touchdown run, it was incredible. I was was there. I watched it. it It was unbelievable, that game. People were going crazy that night. We came out, we had on the all purple and and it doesn't matter what game it is. When you are standing in Death Valley and you see those guys stand at the top of the hill, there ain't nothing else like it. It's an amazing feeling. This passion comes out. It's so passionate about it that I'm willing to argue with anybody that my team is better than your team. I'm passionate about it. I was um, earlier Am I getting ready for this message? I read a story about a pastor that visited uh, the nation of of India. And um, he was there and he was walking through the villages of India. And, And he said that as he went through there, he noticed all these shrines that were dedicated to these different gods And he said, as he walked by the sea, he noticed that some of the people, the Hindus, they had painted their faces and they were down there and they were chanting stuff and they were uh, washing themselves because they were trying to purify themselves to make the angry gods feel better, uh, to make them happy. Um, He witnessed ongoing feasts and festivals throughout these villages that included loud music and cheering. along with a lot of alcohol in India and and a lot of food consumption, okay? And and so it became really apparent to, to this pastor that these people were worshiping false gods. They were passionate about their false god. You know, I'm passionate about football, And as I think about my times at Clemson football games and I relate it to these people in India who are worshiping their false gods, it makes me realize that, you know, we are passionate about our religions. There was a study that came out earlier this week that says most Americans are very passionate about their religion. There's a difference in having a religion and worshiping God, though. But most of us that claim we're passionate about our religions, we we paint our faces. We gather together with about 90 to 100,000 other people to cheer on our gods who play quarterback and tailback. We wear their replica jerseys in tribute to them. We give one another high fives in celebration when one of our gods makes a great play. I'm not downing football. I just want you to see the comparison that all around the world, everybody, everybody in this room, everybody that exists today, if you were taking a breath of air right now, you were created to worship something. God created us originally to worship him. Sin screwed that up. But you are all created to worship something. So the point is this. The subject of worship, okay, we use that word a lot, especially at church. This is a worship service. On Sundays, you come to worship. You go to the worship center, okay? Center, not center, center. All right, We go to the sanctuary and we worship because we're all created to worship. But this word, worship, it's something that needs to be examined. It's something that we need to to talk about. So the first thing that I want to show you about worship and the fact that, remember, you were created to worship something, but let me show you what worship is not. The first thing that I want to show you is what worship is not. See, it's essential that we define what worship is not before we do it, before we define what worship really is. This is because there's been a trend, this tendency among many Christians to define worship very wrong. And they overlook what worship truly is. The church has redefined this idea of worship. And when I say church, I mean us because we make up the church. So A lot of people just don't get what real worship is. So the first thing that worship is not, worship is not something done solely by Christians or spiritual people. It's like I said, worship, we we were all created to worship something or someone. Everybody does it. And as we go on tonight, I hope you'll see that more. We were created to worship and we worship someone or something. Second, worship is not merely a style of music. Worship is not merely a style of music. For years now, there's been this huge debate between what you guys would call the old people and the young people about whether or not it's right to sing hymns in church or if we should sing praise and worship prom love songs to God. Okay? So there's been this debate going on. And what we've done is is, is we've taken this idea of worship and we've said, oh, well, that's a hymn. I I can't really worship to that hymn. Or the old people would come down here and say, man, how am I supposed to worship with those drums? God, those drums are driving me crazy. Imagine if we went into the 11 o'clock service Sunday morning and we started playing drums and having the guitars. I mean, people would get up and they would walk out. And and the reality is is that a lot of people have have taken this idea of worship, made it into this idea of worship alone is music, and they've placed it in a box. Worship is not merely about a style of music. Worship is not something that is connected to time and place. There's a story in John 4, and, and we don't have time to look at it tonight, but it's an awesome story and you should go read it. There's a story in John 4 about an encounter that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman. And, and this Samaritan woman is really confused about the time and the place that worship actually occurs. And in that story, Jesus makes it clear to her that worship is ongoing. It's unbroken. It's an unbroken life relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. While worship does happen in specific places, at specific times, such as Sunday mornings or in here every Wednesday night, worship is not confined to a building. Worship is not limited to any time or any place. Worship is to exist as a ceaseless lifestyle devoted to God, and it's supposed to occur every time and in every place. Worship is not something that starts and stops. So like, it's not, okay, I'm going to church and I'm going to worship between 8 and 12 and I'm done. At noon, I'm done, I'm out of here. Or I'm going to go to the mix on Wednesday night and at 8 o'clock, I'm shutting down, I'm done. No more worship for me. I've got my worship in for the week. I'm done. I'm good. God's happy with me. A.W. Tozer, he was a pastor back in the early 1900s. He once said, if you will not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship him one day a week. Now think about that. A hypocrite, sure. But a true follower of Jesus Christ will worship him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So then what is worship? What is worship? Worship is living our our life individually and publicly as a continuous sacrifice to the glory of a person or thing. Worship is living our life individually and publicly as as a continuous sacrifice to the glory of a person or thing. If you would, look with me, please, in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 36, through chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 11, verse 36, through Romans 12, verse 1. Paul writes these words. He says, for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory talking about God. All glory to him forever. Amen. And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So let's let's unpack this verse for a second. Paul Paul here is saying this, He's saying, first of all, we hold a person or thing in a place of glory. Okay? We we hold a person or thing in a place of glory. Now, the word glory, it means weightless. It means importance, preeminence, priority. It's at the top of the list. It is our greatest treasure, deepest longing. It is our fountain of hope. Whatever we say and whatever we hold in glory... It's what we place our hope in. People can and do hold various people and things in a position of glory. And then they worship them by making sacrifices. You see, Paul not only says here that we we hold a person or thing in a place of glory, but Paul also says what we hold in glory becomes what we worship. See, if you have something that you hold in glory and it becomes your number one priority then you're ultimately gonna begin worshiping that person or that thing. And third, Paul says here, our worship of that person or thing we hold in glory is done by means of making sacrifices for it. Our worship of that person or thing we hold in glory is done by means of... uh, by means of making sacrifices for it. The biblical word for worship is sometimes translated sacrifice. This means that what we make the greatest sacrifice for tells us and others what we truly live to glorify or what we value most and thus what we worship. For example, if we eat and drink in excess, we are worshiping our stomach and we are sacrificing our health. One of the biggest reasons that I went on the diet that I'm currently on is because I was worried about my health. No doctor came to me and said, hey, if you don't quit eating so much, you're going to die. But at 33 years old, I want to make sure that when I have children, that it comes time for my son or daughter to get married, that they're not having to wheel me down in a wheelchair because I didn't take care of my body. I'm not going to worship food. If we sacrifice our relationship with God and people for sports, music, our hobbies in general, then that's what we worship. That's what we glorify. If we're giving our bodies over to sex and we're sacrificing our health or our self-esteem and, and our purity, then we worship sex. We'll give our money, time, energy, devotion, and passion to things that we hold in high esteem and things that we say we hold in glory. So what you worship is what you hold in glory and what you're willing to make sacrifices for. Some examples of bogus worship. First of all, you need to look at a couple of commandments that Jesus gave us in Exodus 20. Verse 34. Verse 3 says, you must not have any other God but me. Verse 4, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Martin Luther is quoted as saying that we break the rest of the commandments only after we break the first two. We break. The other eight commandments, only after we break the first two, Mark Driscoll, pastor of Mar Hill's Church in Seattle, states that if the one true God is my only God and I worship only that God, then I will not end up committing idolatry by worshiping my job and not, not respecting the Sabbath. I will not worship my anger and become violent. I will not worship sex and begin to commit adultery. I will not worship things And steal them I will not worship success and covet what other people have as long as you don't break the first two commandments you're doing okay about not breaking the next eight commandments so we look at for a moment the definition of idolatry which is worship it's to worship something other than the one true God of the Bible if you hold something as an idol you're worshiping that and you're not worshiping God thus you are in sin Back in Romans chapter 1, Romans 1, 21 through 25, the Apostle Paul, oh man, okay, here we go. The Apostle Paul, um, my Bible closed, here we go. The, Bible, the Apostle Paul writes these words, yes, they knew God, but they would not worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. They stopped worshiping the creator and started worshiping the created things. These things can include worshiping things like sports and television instead of God who created those things. What we do is we take something that God gives us to enjoy and instead we begin to make it number one priority in our life. And thus all our passions, money, and time. It gets wrapped up in these things and we forget about the one that gave it to us in the first place. So if you want to know what your idols are, then you can find out by answering these following questions. The first one is this, who or what do I make sacrifices for? Who or what do I make sacrifices for? Who or what is most important to me? Who or what is most important to me? If I could have anything or experience I wanted, what would that be? If I could have anything or experience whatever I wanted, what would that be? Who or what makes me the most happy? What is the one person or thing I could not live without? What do I spend my money on? Who or what do I devote my spare time to? You have some men who worship sports and they sacrifice time with their families, and money go into every game. Some of you worship success, so you invest all your time in working so that one day you can have things. Some of you girls, you worship beauty, so that so much of your money and time goes into shopping for the perfect clothes, or paying unreasonable amounts of money for the perfect hairdo, or getting your nails done. But the one thing that is worshiped most the one thing that is worshiped most by teenagers, what do you think it is? That's a good answer, cell phones, text messaging. The answer is sex. You worship sex more than anything. Matter of fact, the National Council on Sexual Addiction Compulsivity estimates that 6 to 8% of Americans are sex addicts. That's up which is 16 to 21.5 million people. 61% of all high school seniors have had sexual intercourse. About half of them are currently sexually active. There is a difference between sexual intercourse and sexually active. We can talk about that another day. 21% of high school seniors have had four or more sex partners. Teens have the highest STD rates in the country. Approximately one out of every four sexually active adolescent becomes infected with an STD each year for a total of three million cases a year. By their graduation date, students will have watched 15,000 hours of television compared to only 12,000 hours in the classroom. While watching, they will see 14,000 sexual references every year, and only 165 out of 14,000 references will mention birth control, self control, abstinence, the risk of pregnancy, or the risk of getting an STD. Undeniably, people are worshipers. We worship something. We all have a God in our life. And for most teenagers, it's either the God of possession or the God of sex. But thanks be to God that Jesus came to allow us to worship God, first of all, through him. Hebrews 12.10 states that, for it was fitting that he, being Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus came, and through his suffering, we are allowed to worship God Romans 6, 4 says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So for God's glory, Jesus died and was resurrected. So through Jesus, we are transformed. We become different. And so those things that we once worshiped, they, we now no longer mean, mean anything to us. Because we now worship God and God alone. Jesus made the transformation possible through his death, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And now we have to follow his example. I missed one. Okay, We follow his example. And we worship like Jesus. Missed a word there, I'm sorry. Worshiping like Jesus. Not only do we worship through Jesus, we must also worship like Jesus. How did Jesus worship? Jesus, first of all, I think my slides are messed up. Yeah, they are. My slides are messed up. But anyway, uh, not only do we worship through Jesus, we must also worship like Jesus. Nobody ever in the course of human history has ever worshiped God the Father the way Jesus did while he was here on this earth. Matter of fact, John 5:17, your notes may be off. John 5:17 and in verse 24, Jesus said, "And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Father, I desire that they also Whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you had given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. You see, our unending, our unending worship of God has been broken by sin, which has separated us from God. And as a result, Jesus entered, he stepped into human history. And he did that to remove our sin and reconnect us to God. How did he do that? By living a blameless, sinless life. And he lived in perfect relationship with God. He worshiped God perfectly. And we need to learn to follow that example. That we need to be in continuous relationship with God. Every day, we need to pray to God constantly. Every day, we need to read our Bible constantly. Every day, we need to be trying to do all that we can to run away from sin. To stay away from those things. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Paul says it like this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So whether you're on a sports field and you can't be at church, whether you're in the locker room and you can't be at church, you still worship God. Because worship takes place not just in these walls. Remember, it's not held to one place. It's not held to one specific time. You can worship God anywhere. And I would like to see some of you, especially you athletes, to step up and say, hey, it's Wednesday, we can't be at church. Why don't we gather 30 minutes beforehand and we're gonna have a Bible study right here at the field, on the soccer field, right after football practice, whatever. That's having worship with God all the time. And not being ashamed of it. The last thing is this. As you can see, worshiping Jesus. According to the Bible, we should not only worship through Jesus and like Jesus, but we should worship Jesus. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you want to understand the importance of worshiping Jesus, you look no further than to the Old Testament, and you look at how Jesus was worshiped before He even stepped foot into human history. Jesus has always been worshiped. Isaiah 6, 1 through 3 Isaiah writes these words, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphims. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. John 12, 41, John clarifies exactly that Isaiah was talking about Jesus. John wrote, Isaiah said these things because he saw Jesus' glory and he spoke of him. Jesus has always been worshipped. He was worshipped long before, hundreds of years before. He stepped foot on this earth. And in addition to being worshipped in heaven before stepping into human history, Jesus was also worshipped as the one true God by many people during his life on the earth. These people included the blind people, the blind man that he uh, helped see previously demonized men, Thomas the doubter, his best friend, John, all of the disciples, Thomas the doubter, said that one, the mother of James and John, angels, entire churches, his own mother and brothers, little children, and his own worst enemy at one point in time, Paul. Over and over, they worshiped Jesus, and never once did he tell them that they were doing anything wrong. Never once did he say, you're breaking one of the Ten Commandments by worshiping me. In the world today, there are roughly a few billion people who worship Jesus. And we know for sure that Jesus is being worshiped in heaven. So Jesus right now is being worshiped by billions of people around this earth and by people, angels in heaven. As a matter of fact, Revelation 5, 11 through 13 says, an endless choir of angels join together with elders and they sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Joining together with the elders, with these human elders are the angels. And these angels are the birds of the air, the beast of the field and the fish of the sea. And they sing in unison to him sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might and forever. Amen. Revelation 7, 11 through 12, every angel joins in and they make this huge choir and they encircle the throne of God. And they join together with the choir of angels and with these elders and all of the rest of the angels. They encircle the throne upon which Jesus is sitting. And John says in Revelation 7, 11 and 12, they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. In Revelation 15, two and four, those who have been killed for their devotion in Christ They come to the throne, and they start singing along with them. Great and amazing are your deeds. O Lord, the God Almighty, just and true are your ways. O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And in Revelation 19.1, John reports that the volume becomes deafening, as the great multitude of angels and humans are singing together, he writes that what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to God. Jesus deserves our worship. Jesus and Jesus alone. One of the biggest reasons that most of us whole things are people in more importance than Jesus is because we believe the lie that God's glory and our joy and happiness are in conflict. A lot of you think that if you start following Jesus, worshiping God and get in a relationship with him, that he's gonna take away your little fun card and you can't enjoy life. But because you were created to worship Jesus. That's the only way you'll ever be satisfied. You'll never find uh, satisfaction in anything else that you try to worship. Too many people try to find their satisfaction in life, and they try to find it in happy, find their happiness in the wrong places. When God is glorified, we are satisfied because we're not living for ourselves, we're living for him. Sadly though, many of you teenage ladies, you hold in glory either the fantasy of a relationship with a young man probably is not who is not godly and is not fit for a Christian relationship. You believe that if He just had, you believe that if you just had a boyfriend or the affection of a particular boy, you would be happy? You begin to worship this boy instead of Jesus, and you begin, because you start making sacrifices for this young man, you give the boy all of your time. You forget about your friends. You forget about your relationship with God. You give him all of your time, you give him all of your energy. You give him all of your heart and your mind. You give him your body. You give him your soul when you give him your body. And you give it an act of worship to the boy. But over time, you begin to realize that you're unhappy. Because this boy that you have made your God is not making you as happy as you feel like you should be. Your God is not good. Your God is not holy. Your God cheats on you. Your God puts you down. Your God disrespects you by trying to use your body for his own pleasures. Your God abuses you. Your God eventually could give you an STD Your God doesn't have any intention of ever marrying you, even though he eventually gets you pregnant. And then he leaves you, shameful, with people making fun of you and calling you a whore. Too many young guys, you arrange your life around video games and sports, the latest sex experience, You take women as instruments for your own pleasure and you discard them when they're no longer any more fun. Jobs, when you have one, are just to provide dollars for another buzz of excitement. But as soon as that thrill is gone, as soon as that thrill of having sex with girl after girl after girl is gone, you realize that You're seeking for the ultimate thrill just isn't enough to make you happy anymore. At this point, many young men realize that they are miserable and dissatisfied because their God is a robber and not a giver like Jesus. Their God causes them to become addicts. Their God does not allow them to change. Despite the misery that most of these guys experience, they are still pursuing wealth for their happiness, the next thrill for their happiness. So credit card debt soars. To cope, many listen to music that makes you feel violently angry or even suicidally depressed as your sin marches you to death. The only way to free yourself from the torment of pursuing a happiness that does not exist with things in this world or with people in this world is to worship the one true God. If you don't do that, you're just going to keep being sad and pitiful and lonely and used So why does Jesus deserve our worship? Because he can save us from ourselves. He can save us from ourselves. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Merge Podcast. For more information about the Merge Student Ministry, please go to www.mergestudents.com.